Nice to be back here again. Appreciate uh, the assembly here. Appreciate your interest, certainly, in missions. And always appreciate the opportunity to come back and visit and minister the word. Um, you want to just do a little connection here? Okay. Thanks. Okay, good. All right, well, why don't we open our Bibles to uh, John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Malcolm, give me an idea how long I have because I can just adjust it accordingly. You usually finish at 830, right? Okay, this is going to be a fast one here. Okay. Now let's turn to John chapter 15. And if I can just beg a few extra minutes, if that's all right, since we had something special tonight. But John chapter 15. Uh, knowing that the Skype presentation was going to uh, cut into the time a little bit, uh, it's worth it definitely for believers to be acquainted with uh, the work of the Lord overseas. But let's just take a look at John chapter 15. I just want to um, challenge us perhaps to consider some of these things about the Lord working in our hearts and our lives. You just spoke with a missionary on the field in the moment in real time and uh, the work that they're involved with. And uh, hopefully you'll be praying for them. But John chapter 15 is related to these things. The Lord Jesus in one of his I am statements here in verse 1 says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser or husbandman, your version may say. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit he taketh away and every branch that beareth fruit he purges it that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in a vine. No more can you, except you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done Unto you. And verse 8 for the final verse. In this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Well, what I'd like to speak with you about uh, for just these few minutes together is fruit bearing. And fruit bearing is an important topic that we see in the scriptures. Uh, the Lord Jesus here is bringing this out in this section in John chapter 15. It's part of the uh, upper room discourse of the Lord Jesus, which goes from chapters 13 all the way to chapter 17. And uh, finishes with that tremendous prayer that the Lord Jesus uttered uh, in the presence of his disciples. And fruit bearing is really should be a, a something that we should really consider because the Lord one day is going to call us uh, into account for what he has entrusted to us. It's uh, going to be called, it is called the judgment seat of Christ and it's going to happen at the time when he returns for his church. The judgment seat of Christ is not a judgment of punishment, it's a judgment of evaluation. There's a difference between getting a fine, let's say a ticket for speeding, <clears throat> and getting a fine for that and being punished for that uh, versus uh, when you're in a race or when you see the Olympics. There are judges there as well, but they're not judging to punish. They're judging uh, to reward. And the Lord Jesus is going to reward us one day for things that are done for his honor and for his glory with a proper motive, with a proper ministry and a proper methodology according to God's word. So fruit bearing is an important topic. And in John chapter 14, the Lord Jesus is bringing out what we should be, or rather what he is doing for us. Uh, that's an important point. He says, I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. A number of different things he brings out. Verse 3 says, I will come again, receive you to myself. Uh, verses 13 and 14, whatever you ask, I will do. These are all the promises that the Lord says and takes upon himself to accomplish those things. Uh, in uh, the 
of that same chapter, he says, I will pray the Father and he will give you the Spirit. Uh, the Lord Jesus says, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. So he promises and bequeaths these things to believers. He did it for his disciples and he would do it for all who would come to faith in him afterwards. But in John chapter 15, there's a turn that takes place. Uh, there's, a, there's a shift. In John chapter 15, it's what we should be doing for the Lord. John chapter 14, he emphasizes what he's going to do for us. But John chapter 15 switches it. And uh, now, because of what he promises to do for us, uh, we should be ready to do things for him as well. What are some of those things, and what are they involved with? Well, the first third of the chapter, verses 1 through 11, the Lord talks about uh, our relationship with him. And then in verses 12 through 17, our relationship with one another, we have responsibilities toward one another. There are 42 reciprocal commands that are found in the New Testament. A reciprocal command is a, a one another command. What I do to you, you should be doing for me. I should be praying for you and serving and encouraging and doing all these one another's. There's 42 of those in the New Testament, reciprocal commands. You do it to me, I do it for you. We serve one another. And so we have responsibilities along those lines. <clears throat> but we also have responsibilities toward the world. Uh, we don't have a relationship as brother and sister because they're a world and that's a world apart. Uh, they're, they're following a different pattern of things and a different set of uh, uh, standards and conduct. So we're worlds apart. But we have a responsibility to the world, a responsibility to tell them about the gospel. That's why people are called by the Lord to go overseas, just as we've heard in that missionary interview just a moment ago. So chapter 14, what the Lord does for us, and chapter 15, what we should be doing for the Lord. But uh, in chapter 15, the emphasis is on fruit bearing. And in verse 8, the reason why I stopped at verse 8 is because that's the pinnacle of it. The Lord says, uh, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. He wants us to bear much fruit. Now, if you followed closely, you would have seen that there is a number of different ways that fruit bearing can take place. And when we talk about fruit bearing, there is a case for fruit bearing all the way through the scriptures, not just in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, if you look through a number of different portions in Numbers chapter 17, you would see there is a picture of fruit bearing there. Remember the case where Korah was uh, involved with the rebellion and he had uh, gotten a whole bunch of people together against the nation, against Moses and against Aaron. And uh, as a nation, they, they, he was a conspirator in some ways. And so to settle the matter, <clears throat> what God did is said, okay, I want you to take one staff from every tribe of the nation. And one of them, I want you to write the name Aaron on that staff. These were, in effect, dead sticks. And they were put in the tabernacle of meeting before the Ark of the Covenant. Overnight, only one budded and blossomed and bore fruit. And that was one that had Aaron's name on it. And it was a validation of the priesthood of Aaron. He was the one that was to be the, the leader, not Korah or anybody else. And it was God's verification that this is the right person. That picture of dead sticks and only one coming to life is what we just celebrated a couple days ago. The Lord Jesus in his resurrection glory. Uh, the fact that he was dead and he lives and he lives and he will die never again. Uh, and so that's the Lord Jesus, who want, the one who came back to life. He was alive and he dead and he lives forevermore. He lives in a power of an endless life, we're told in Hebrews chapter 7. And so that picture of those sticks coming back, that stick rather, one stick coming back to life, 
is a wonderful picture of the Lord and his resurrection glory. All the world's leaders, religious leaders, they'll claim to know God and can do great things for God. And there's no question that the devil is in it in many cases. But there's only one that rose again from the dead, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he budded and blossomed and bore fruit, if you will. And that picture there is a wonderful picture of not only the Lord Jesus, but of you. If you've trusted the Lord Jesus as your Savior, you are to be bearing fruit for His glory. I'm supposed to be bearing fruit for His glory. And so there's a case for fruit bearing from the very early pages of Scripture. It goes on into various Scriptures in the New Testament as well. Matthew chapter 13, verse 8. You were talking about the um, parable of the sower and the soils and uh, the seed that went out. And remember, there was one that fell on rocky soil. Well, first there was one that got taken away by the birds. And then one that fell on rocky soil. And then uh, in shallow soil. But the ones that really bore fruit, bore fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. And so there is a picture or a reference to the fact that all of us, everyone who knows the Lord Jesus as Savior, is responsible to bear fruit for his glory. So, again, there's a case for it. There's also command for it. Romans chapter 7, verse 4 says it very clearly. Therefore, my brethren, uh, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to one another to him, that's Christ, who is raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. That's not a suggestion. That's a command. God says we need to be bearing fruit for his glory. And we're married to another. We're dead to the law. When you trusted Christ as Savior, it's as if you said, I'm, I'm done with the law of That's like a dead person, and I'm free to remarry again, remarry the Lord Jesus, if we can use that terminology. And in that way, uh, the comparison is made. So we're to bear fruit to God. Of course, we're familiar with the concept of fruit bearing from the fruit of the Spirit. But you might be saying, well, what is fruit bearing? What's not bearing fruit? Well, in uh, Galatians chapter 5 and verses 19 through 21, you have a whole bunch of descriptions of what's the, what characterizes the world. They're walking according to a different standard. They're uh, tied in and held captive to the prince of the power of the air. You folks would know about it down here. We know about it up in New York. Uh, there's people that have lives in the gutters, and gutters can be on the ground. Gutters can be up on the uh, highest buildings. Uh, you can have your life in a gutter, whether you're on Wall Street or whether you're on Skid Row. But uh, all of those are described, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, all these different things are what are the fruits of sin and uh, the selfish selfish nature. But in verses 22 and 23 of Galatians 5, we have the fruit of the Spirit. This is what's generated by the Spirit of God in the life of every believer. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, you know the whole list there in Galatians chapter 5. So the fruit of the Spirit is those things that are listed there in those verses. Um, What is this portion here in John chapter 15 teaching us? Why is this so significant for us? Well, number one, the Lord expects us to progress in our fruit bearing. That's one key thing. We'll just spend a few minutes on this. We're not going to spend too long on it. But we really want to press home these points in our brief time together. What does the Lord want us to do? He wants us to progress in our fruit bearing. How do we know that? Well, look down on John chapter 15 and verse uh, 2. It says, every branch in me, so that's a believer, <clears throat> that's a believer, <clears throat> every branch in me <clears throat> that beareth not fruit, he takes away. <clears throat> now, he doesn't take away, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> doesn't take away salvation. He doesn't do that. As a matter of fact, in the Greek, the verse right there, is more of he lifts up. Not that he takes somebody away and puts them on a shelf forever. 
That's not grace and mercy, especially when we know that, uh, as Mitch mentioned in his presentation, the great verse in John chapter 10, if you heard that real clearly, he said, we're in his hand. Well, that's John chapter 10, verse 27. My father who gave them me is greater than all. No man is able to take him out of my father's hand. He's greater than all. So it's the Lord who is able to do that. And so uh, there is the fact that we should be progressing our fruit bearing and we should be bearing fruit. So it begins here at this point of no fruit. But then it progresses on to some fruit. And then after that to more fruit. All in that same verse. And then finally in verse 8, verse 5 first, then verse 8 is much fruit. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So God wants us to progress kind of like when we're a new believer there's a little bit of fruit we know a little bit about the lord we know about salvation he makes that simple enough for anybody to understand fruit bearing Um, that we can understand the fact that we need to trust the lord jesus as our savior little children can understand that older people can understand that as well but then we're supposed to move on not just be witnesses in jerusalem and judea and samaria and uttermost parts of the earth but to go and learn the word of god and to be able to articulate and to refute the gainsayers and a lot of different levels there that are involved. And every Christian is responsible to mature spiritually. Not to sp- stay little children, but to move on in the faith. And so uh, that's what we see here in this portion. We're supposed to be bearing fruit. Well, how do we bear fruit? I mean, it's nice to talk about fruit bearing and we see those verses that we talked about. But what does it mean to be bearing fruit? What does the Bible tell us about Fruit bearing. What is fruit from a spiritual standpoint? Well, Galatians 5, we've already been introduced to. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, all those different attitudes. Part of our character that comes from within through the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the regenerated believer. The, the one who has trusted Christ as Savior. As old things are passed away, behold, all things become new. And so that's part of that. I always love Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 16. That comes out. That verse right there talks about coming uh, north wind and blow upon my garden, no south wind, that its fragrances may flow out. God wants us to demonstrate, whether it's adversity or prosperity, prosperity in a good way, the fruit of the Spirit coming out in our lives. And so we see that in terms of character or attitudes. Actions are another way. Uh, Our conduct, outwardly, what's in the heart is going to come out in the life. And so uh, if we are born again and we know the Lord Jesus as our Savior, that love, joy, peace, long-suffering is going to be manifested outwardly in our lives. And so that's dealing with the conduct or the actions that correspond to the changed heart within. We're not going to be like the people who don't know the Lord, try to put a facade on from a spiritual standpoint, going through religious motion, but instead we are to be serving the Lord and doing it in sincerity and in truth. Uh, the third way that we're told that fruit bearing is demonstrated or manifested in the New Testament is through our conversation, our worship, and our thanks. Remember that verse in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15. Giving thanks unto his name. The fruit of our lips continually, continually giving fruit, uh, giving thanks to his name. The fruit of our lips. That's fruit bearing too. Fruit bearing is speaking. How we converse with one another. How we speak with the Lord in prayer. How we love the Lord and express that love to Him in prayer. That's fruit bearing. And that's what the Lord wants us to bear much fruit in. He doesn't want to have us just in kindergarten, spiritually speaking, all our lives. He wants us to move through the grades and move up 
the ladder, so to speak, educationally, just like we would in the school system. He wants us to mature in our walk with him. And he wants our fruit to remain, it says later on in chapter 15 of John. So uh, conversation and worship. And then, of course, fruit bearing would relate to converts as well. In uh, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 15, uh, the Apostle Paul makes a reference to uh, the house of Stephanus, the first fruits of Achaia. That's a province in that region. And uh, he was the first believer for Christ. Paul said it in Romans chapter 1, verse 13. He says, uh, I want fruit among you. He's talking to the Romans, Romans there. Who is he, what's he referring to? He's talking about winning people to Christ. So the big question is, challenge to me, challenge to all of us, is how many people have we won to the Lord? Some of us were enthusiastic when we first trusted Christ, but as the years have gone on, we've kind of settled down, haven't we? We got more reserved a little bit and forgot that passion. But it didn't seem like the Apostle Paul ever lost that passion. He says that I might know Christ and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. So he wanted to continually apprehend, understand, uh, and attain to these things. He says, not that I've already apprehended, but I follow after. And so the Lord Jesus wants to continue, I mean, uh, the Apostle Paul wanted to continue growing in the things of the Lord Jesus. And so there are four different types of fruit that are listed in the New Testament. And there are four different levels, right? No fruit, some fruit, more fruit, much fruit. So you any mathematicians in the audience, you put that all together right there and you get the combination and there's a lot of different combinations. We can be bearing fruit a lot in terms of evangelism but doing a bad job in terms of our outward character. We can be doing a good job with our outward character maybe and our conduct. We love to serve meals, let's say, to those in need but we may not be sharing the gospel or speaking the gospel to people. And so there's a lot of different ways in which we should be bearing fruit in all four categories to the full extent. And he wants our fruit to remain, not to slip back and lose that passion that we perhaps once had earlier in our Christian experience. And so that's the third point we would say the Lord expects our fruit to remain. It's found in verse 16 of John chapter 15, and uh, you can look at it on your own. But the key uh, verse here also is what makes that fruit remain. Well, verse 4 tells us, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abide, unless you abide in me, neither can you unless you abide in me. It's dwelling close with the Lord. That's what's going to make a difference. David said in Psalm 63, my soul follows hard after thee. And so the way that we're going to bear fruit is by staying close to Christ being near him uh, and when we're near him sorry for that notifier there that's my email telling me I got an email since I'm still connected to the internet um, but uh, that fruit right there is a reminder that, uh, that we need to be honoring and glorifying Christ and the way it's done is through uh, staying close to him the benefits of abiding in Christ why does it pay off to being close to the Lord dwelling close to Christ the Holy Spirit dwells within us But our responsibility is to dwell close to the Lord Jesus through prayer and through Bible study, through fellowship with the Lord's people. Things I think you already know. But sometimes we need to stir up our minds by way of remembrance. And so uh, what's the benefit of it? Here's the extra incentive that God gives to each one of us. Answered prayer. If you abide in me, my word abides you. You ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. That's a great incentive. Wouldn't you agree? Great incentive for abiding in Christ. Answered prayer comes through in verse 16 as well. 
bearing much fruit. God is glorified through the whole thing. Verse 8. And then there's a full and lasting joy. Verse 11 says this. These things I've spoken to you that my joy might remain in you and that your, your joy might be full. Um, you know, I can tell the difference when I am walking close with the Lord or feeling close to the Lord. I start singing more. When uh, there's something that's between me and the Savior, as the song says, nothing between my soul and the Savior, not from this world's delusive dream, you know, that line of that hymn. When I am not feeling like there's some, something that took the edge spiritually off my walk with Christ, uh, I'm not so quick to sing the hymns. But when things are going along those lines very nicely, verses pop into mind. Christian stanzas of Christian hymns pop into my mind during the course of a day at a moment that I'm not expecting them. That's when I know something is going right. When those things aren't happening and I'm getting frustrated and angry easily or whatever it might be, that's when I know ah, maybe I'm not spending enough time with the Lord in prayer, communing with Him in prayer. And so that's a thing that we need to keep aware of as well. Verse 15 talks about the deeper understanding. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends, for all things I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. And so that's a great incentive as well. And so the deeper understanding of Scripture. Fruit bearing is an important thing. Staying close to the Lord. Psalm 91 verse 1 tells us that. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High <clears throat> shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And then in Ephesians 3.17, that Christ might dwell in your hearts by faith. Yeah, that's a great verse from the second prayer in uh, the book of Ephesians. Uh, the second prayer of the Apostle Paul in that uh, section. And then Psalm 1, verse 3. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. Its leaf also shall not wither. There's a freshness. There's a strength. There's a resilience in a time of trouble or in a time of trial. There's still that ability to, to see through that and say, hey, the Lord is bringing me through these, uh, these difficulties for a reason to be more, bear, more bearing fruit for his sake and for his glory. Remember Joseph? Joseph was forgotten in prison. He was betrayed by his brethren, forgotten in prison, mis, uh, you know, maligned uh, because of uh, Potiphar's wife, all those things. If there's any person that could have been bitter, it would have been Joseph. And yet when he went through that whole uh, trial, extended trial, he came through it in shining colors. And uh, <clears throat> when he was released from prison, he was exalted instantly to uh, second man uh, in, in uh, Egypt's uh, administration. And uh, you know what he called his two sons? They were Manasseh and Ephraim. Manasseh was the first son. And uh, Manasseh's name means, you have made me forget all the toils of my father's household. Uh, Joseph deliberately pushed aside the uh, oversights and the slights and everything else that came into his life, he deliberately made a point of putting them aside so he wouldn't be bitter. Uh, a lot of us, when we're hurt, when we're neglected, when we're overseen, whatever the word might be, we get resentful and we hold a grudge. But Joseph deliberately put those aside. And when he named his child Manasseh, he was deliberately saying with a flag on it, so to speak, that God has made me forget all the toils of my father's household. But the second son he had was Ephraim. And Ephraim says, you have made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. You have made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. And so God was uh, showing us through that episode in Joseph's life 
that fruitfulness often comes through the time of trial. God sends us through trials to bring out the best in us if we respond the right way. If we don't, the result can often be bitterness and not fruit-bearing. So fruit-bearing, Joseph, the prime example, as I mentioned, Manasseh, there it is, 41 verse 51 is a reference in case you're taking notes, and Ephraim there in verse 52. And so fruit-bearing is an important thing, but in Psalm 92 we're told this, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. Fruit-bearing is a responsibility for all Christians at all generations, every time. Every believer is to be bearing fruit for the Lord's glory. And so uh, this has been a speedy uh, message right here. But hopefully by the presentation that was made through Skype, praise the Lord, that uh, the connection came out. I don't know what happened, but it was a lot clearer the second time around. You know, David's disciples, you know, there are a long list of David's uh, disciples in Second Samuel chapter 23. And one of those was named Shammah. And uh, he was out in the battlefield, and it says that he stayed with it until his hands stuck to the sword. So I wasn't going to let that go either. I was going to stick, uh, you know, have my hands stick to the sword as well. And I'm glad for some of you, I'm sure, were praying that that connection was made. And it was a better connection than I had down here. So praise the Lord for that. We got through that. Appreciate your attention. And uh, this speaks to my heart. It should speak to yours as well because it's God speaking to us from his precious word. And he's told us, the Lord Jesus told us, this is what I've done for you. Given you the Holy Spirit, given you his word, given you an understanding of the scriptures. I've entrusted you with my Holy Spirit and, and uh, power that comes from him. All these things have been given to you. Now, what can you do for me? Can you bear fruit for my glory? In terms of your character, in terms of your conduct, in terms of your worship, and your conversation to one another, and in terms of those that you'll win to Christ. That's fruit-bearing. That's what God is glorified in. He wants us to have our fruit remain. He wants us to be, bear much fruit for His glory and to be a witness for Him. Not in just our words, but in our lives and in our countenances and everything about us that we give honor and glory, not to us, but to Him. And we trust the Lord will help us in that. Let's commit this time then to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, thank you again for your precious word. Indeed, Father, it speaks to our hearts in so many different ways. Lord, for as many people as are in this room this evening, there are many, many needs, many levels of needs. Lord, all of us are going through something, some way, somehow, uh, through uh, the day and the week that we go through, Father. There are difficulties and challenges that each one of us face. But, Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the Holy Scriptures. We thank you, for, Father, the promises from your precious word that encourage us to help us uh, to be strengthened in our walk with you. Lord, as your word tells us, without you we can do nothing. And so we pray that we would continue to learn those lessons of uh, reliance and dependence upon you. We thank you here for the saints in this assembly. We thank you for their good work in evangelism, for the work in the desire to connect with missionaries overseas and to be aware of their needs and their struggles. And even as Mitch shared with us, sometimes the discouragement that come along the way. But we pray, Father, that we would be quick to respond to whatever your spirit would tell us to do. Thank you again for all that you do for us, for your blessings to us, for your daily uh, benefits that you load upon us, Lord. Help us to be thankful, grateful people. We give thanks in the name and for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.